Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. Hear the full show on our app, by podcast, or on 96FM.ie. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. When do we take control of our lives and our destiny? We're a small country, but we punch way above our weight. Like, I'm filming now at this stage, to be honest with you. I thought it was one of the hardest things to do. It was horrendous. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Really must compliment whoever put together the front page of this morning's Echo. Uh, We broke the story here on the opinion line yesterday when we got word of his passing. But of all of the thousands and thousands and thousands of photographs there must have been of Billa, they just found a beauty for the front page of this morning's Echo. Uh, This was Billa with no makeup, no pan stick, no dress, no wig, no frock, no nothing, just... Billa, the cap and the smile and the smile that we will all remember those of us who had the privilege to know the man off stage it's a beautiful photograph on the front page of the echo it it absolutely encapsulates or encapsulates what we will remember of Billa and and thank you so much for whoever put that together you did a great day's work in selecting that photograph actually his funeral is tomorrow at the lock and will be live live streamed on churchservices.tv forward slash the lock. But I just wanted to mention that echo photograph because it really, really is nice. Not very far from me, there are people, I'd say if I was, what, 10 minutes walk tops, there are people <laughs> who had a strange sound for company the last couple of nights as they tried to get a few hours of shut eye. Up the road from us here. Do you hear that? Yeah. That's been their accompaniment for the last couple of nights. I can't even hear myself breathe. Do you hear that? That's been happening not far from me here. More on that uh, coming a little bit later on this morning. Also, uh, give us a think about what you're doing for the weekend. I know I'm going to watch golf. I know there may be a pint or two past my lips this weekend. I know that I'm going, and I'm so buzzed about this. Myself and the boy were going to our first gig since before lockdown our first actual 
gig in the same place actually as we went to our last gig before lockdown so I'll tell you more about that a little bit later on this morning and speaking of gigs I do have more tickets for Ed Sheeran between 11 and 12 more tickets for Ed 1850-715-996 but yesterday a man whose wife and four day old baby boy died in a maternity hospital has pleaded with the HSC to do the right thing and allow a review into their tragic death to be admitted as evidence at their inquests. I'm reading from All English's piece in the Examiner. This is the story of Kieran Downey. Uh, outside court yesterday, uh, their barrister, Darren O'Mahony, appealed for a report to be published a report into the deaths or to what might be learnt from the deaths of his wife and his baby. It's everything to Mr Downey because nothing will bring his wife and son back but it would mean a lot to him to know that this won't happen to another family again. Ali Sixlam reporter Maureen Tuig. Maureen, we have covered this before on the opinion line. Just recap again for us what happened to Kieran's wife and son. Morning to you. Absolutely, Peter. Good morning. Yes, yeah, so it was in March 2019. And Marie Downey from Kildare, she was found dead in a single room at CUMH, which is Cork University Maternity Hospital. And her newborn son, Dara, as you said there, PJ, four days old, was found critically injured underneath there. And he passed away the following evening. Now, an inquest into their deaths, PJ, was opened on August 30th last and uh, it was adjourned on that day and, it, you know, it was adjourned for mention yesterday. But I suppose just going back to that hearing last month, um, there was a number of submissions made in camera. So it meant that, you know, we were all excluded from that that part of it. And uh, afterwards, the coroner, Philip Common, ruled that a report following an external review could not be used in evidence. Now, it's a systems analysis review report. Mm. And this is the report that barrister Diran O'Mahony that you had speaking there, uh, that they're calling now on the HSE, formally calling on them to agree to the admission of this report into, into evidence. Now, as I say, yesterday, you know, it was for mention and, and this this conversation was had in the coroner's court and then afterwards, uh, Diran O'Mahony speaking outside. Now, what coroner Philip Common said you know, he's made his ruling on this report. He's heard the submissions on it in camera. He's made his ruling and he said that he would not be revisiting the report. But he did tell uh, Darren O'Mahony that they could revisit the matter with the HSE. Mm. Now, they're calling, as I say, on the HSE to do the right thing, as you said there, and to allow this report um, to be included in in evidence. Mm. Now, now, obviously, you haven't had sight of it, Maureen. None of, none of us have, and it's not going to be yeah. admitted at the inquest. That's the coroner's discretion to allow it or not. But do we know what's actually in this report, what it looked at? Yes, yeah, so there was a number, uh, as I understand, there was a, a number of recommendations made in this report. Now, what we do understand, I suppose I should add as well, um, a PJ, that um, that it was commissioned by a clinical director of CUMH, Professor John Higgins. Now, what Deirdre Owani said was that Kieran Downey's only remaining hope is that the HSE will learn from the terrible cascade of events which led to the death of his wife and his son and, and that no family will ever have to endure such a terrible tragedy as this one. But what she said is this is only going to be possible with a full and thorough investigation which leaves no stone unturned. And they are 
pleading with the HSE to allow this report uh, to be to be included in evidence. Now, what they've been told is that the report has been accepted in full. Eleven recommendations are to be implemented, and they can see no reason whatsoever. And then why the HSE should not, as they said, honour its commitment to open disclosure and consent to the report forming part of the, the documentation at the hearing. Now, I'll just, I'll just go through a few more of the quotes there that, that Darren said. Mm-hmm. You know, she said, for a hospital that says that it strives for clinical excellence, CUMH would seem startlingly averse to public scrutiny and learning from its mistakes if it were to insist on keeping the report shrouded in secrecy. Now, at the hearing yesterday, solicitor for the HSE is able and Harrington, he rejected suggestions that the report was shrouded in secrecy and, and said that the learnings had been shared with the Downey family. Um, and he also said, right, that the HSE was just one party mentioned in it and that the difficulty was with the report being submitted as evidence in an inquest. Um, so as um, Diren said, you know, it's Mr. Downey's, Kieran Downey's express request that the HSC do the right thing now and agree to the admission of the report between now and and the date of the hearing. And I suppose just to touch on that, as they said, it was it was up for mention yesterday mm. um, because the inquest, you know, there was a lot of in camera the last day. It was adjourned for mention yesterday. What uh, coroner Philip Common said, you know, he's hoping that the inquest will take place the week of November 16th next. But this is depending on a number of factors. And one of those is the availability of a suitable venue. Obviously, with COVID, you know, restrictions wise, and there's going to be a jury um, at the inquest as well. So they need to logistically allow for everyone to be included Mm. that needs to be there. Mm. So um, he needs to to have a suitable venue and and make it work for for everyone. And I suppose you might remember the last day, you know, a number of of journalists worked from home. A number of us were in a separate courtroom. A number were in the courtroom. So it's just to allow for for all those factors. So November 16th, I think they're they're hoping to set aside around three days for it. Mm. And uh, look, a fact-finding mission, it's it's such a tragic situation and it's really tough. And my thoughts go out to the Downey family so yeah all right all right thank you for that uh, 16th of november as you say and apart from the fact that is the coroner is court number seven still closed to the coroner i think we were in court number i, I got a bit lost going on the one, the one, down, the, the one down, the, down the back that's the usual the one down the back court. that's the usual one i think that's where that the main one was was the last day we were in court four ah. and it was uh streamed on the tv screens to us up there so the, the technology works well in these situations in COVID times all right okay thank you for that maureen twig corks 96 films news reporter that um inquest now penciled in for the 16th of november that report what is in it and obviously the coroner's entitled to say well that's not admissible as evidence here but if you listen to what the barrister is saying there must be some other way to find out what's in that report to publish are they calling do you think on the hse to actually publish it it's everything to mr downey because nothing will bring his wife and son back but it would mean a lot to him to know that this won't happen to another family again that sounds to me like a call to actually publish it, even if it can't be used at the inquest. That's that's a matter for the coroner, but maybe she's calling on the on on the HSE to publish it. Can we just talk? The opinion line on Corks ninety six FM with McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk; they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Can we just talk? 
Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96FM. I see in the paper this morning, and it's reported in the morning news, they're looking at a rise in the minimum wage. Uh, they're looking at putting it up to, what is it, 10.50 an hour? 10, 16 hours, something like that. That's what uh, Leah Varadkar is proposing. That'd be a 30 cent increase in the minimum wage and also possibility of an extra bank holiday becoming in the budget. Now, whatever by putting up the minimum wage by, by 30 cent an hour, people will be for or against that. Uh, the idea of an extra bank holiday. Like, when you think about it, we're very well served in... March with Patrick's Day, then we've April with Easter, then we've the May Bank Holiday, then we've the June Bank Holiday, then we've August. But we've nothing then between the start of August and the end of October in terms of Bank Holiday. So wouldn't it be lovely to plonk another Bank Holiday there in the middle of September, say, to catch the tail end of the Indian summer? So if we are going to get a new Bank Holiday, we don't know, I think we are, if we are going to get a new Bank Holiday, when would you like it? When would you like to have the new bank holiday? If you had, if I had me way, it would be the middle of September or the end of September. Middle of September, maybe. Just to divide that sort of long gap there between start of August and the end of October. But if we had another bank holiday, where would you like to put it? And this is enough anyway to give people another bank holiday to say thanks for the pandemic. And what do you think about the minimum wage? 10, I think 10.50, they want to put it up to an hour. 1060. Uh, in some, some people would say it's uh, unsustainable. Other people would say it's not enough. What would you think? Thankfully, I've never had to do a minimum wage job. Thankfully. I've never been in that position, so I don't know what it's like to live on the minimum wage. I'm the first one to admit that. But what it is, what, there are those who would say we pay too much in the minimum wage. There are those who say we wouldn't, we don't pay half, an, half enough. What do you think? 1850-715-996. Imagine waking, being woken by this. Yeah, there it is, outside the window. Danielle, what what time was that outside your window? Good morning. Hi, PJ, good morning. Um, That was uh, ten past nine. Um, so the work had started at half past seven right. and it was planned to finish at half past two right. in the morning. Now you live right next to the care home in Montanati and this is scheduled roadworks, I think. Yeah, so they had given us notice on the 3rd of September to say that from the 6th to the 8th, which was a Monday to Wednesday, uh, these works would be taking place and they gave the time of half seven at night to six in the morning. So I started you know, prepared myself for a bit of disturbance, you know, overnight. Um, we're now, you know, well into late September and to be sitting down trying to watch the telly at night first, but then trying to go to bed and listening to basically just what you played. Um, plus, I have a four-year-old that's in school, so my fear of her being woken and, you know, trying to get her back to sleep and you want her to have a good day in school the next day, that all requires, you know, a good night's sleep. Um you know, that would be quite annoying as well, to say the least. Did they give you a letter to say this was going to happen, yeah? Um, Just on the dates that I gave you there, so just the 6th to the 8th was quoted on the letter. And then some service work may need to take place after those dates. Um, Now, 
uh, they resurfaced the road. And when I went out the other night to take the video and ask the workers, you know, what was going on and what were they doing? Um, they were raising the manholes to the level of the road. Okay. And, you know, my question was, could this not be done during the day? Um, I contacted David Joyce in the city, uh, Cork City Council, and he gave a spiel of why it couldn't be done during the day. It would affect mothers bringing their kids to school, uh, to which I responded, you know, no child can go to school if they're awake till half past two in the morning because there's a man outside their window with a kango hammer. Um, he quoted that, you know, he'd be in trouble with councillors, local councillors because of traffic. Um, mm -hmm. I actually contacted some local councillors and in fairness, Ted Tynan came up straight away to look and see, you know, was this actually really happening mm -hmm. um, at this time? And apparently they got a permit. Um, what's really funny is that when Ted Tynan showed up, uh, they moved. They moved mm. down the road. Mm. And now last night, even though it's, it, I was assured by David Joyce, it was essential work, you know, and it, it had to be done. Mm. But there was no one there last night then. Yeah, the council did issue a statement to the opinion line. We, we asked them for their comment yeah. and, and they said, this is a commuter route. And as such, the much-needed resurfacing work has to be carried out at night. Cannot be carried out in the daytime due to the severe traffic disruptions that would be caused. The contractor carried out a letter drop prior to the works, saying they would endeavour to carry out the work as quickly as possible. But, as you said, the original dates concerned were around the, what, the yeah, 8th was to, the, the, to sixth, the 10th. The 6th the to the 8th. Yeah. And, and this is sure the 24th. And like I said to David Joyce yesterday, it's Middle Glanmire Road. It's not a main road. It can be accessed from Lower Road, from the road by the guard station, from the road by St. Joseph's Church and from St. Luke's. Mm. You know, it's not like to be, uh, and I have no background in engineering. I'm a personal trainer. Uh, but to me, it makes sense to section off the road during the day for the residents, you know, so mm. that we can access the area anyway. And then we can also sleep by night I'm sure if I stood outside David Joyce's house with a kango hammer or yeah. if I beeped my horn or if I had disturbed any of my neighbours after, you know, a suitable time at night, yeah. I'd have someone knocking on my door asking me to be quiet. Yeah, I suppose not, not personalising it against Mr Joyce in, in any way, but he, he's he's the liaison with, with the council. But they did say the 6th to the 8th. This is the 24th. Yes. What else did the letter say? It said there may be some additional work. And there's there may the question. Be some... They were raising the accesses, the, the manholes. So... They're raising the manholes to meet the level of the road that they resurface. Now, to be honest, PJ, the road was perfect. There yeah. was, you know, nothing. But you would wrong have to it. ask I... the question, wouldn't you, Danielle? Like, why didn't they do that at the same time? Yeah. Well, they also put down um, double yellow lanes. So, if you if you familiar with the area, as you come up by the care home, the road really narrows, and only one car can go up and down a certain point by the garden centre. And they put two double yellow lines on either side. Like Stevie Wonder wouldn't park a car there, really, you know, because he'd know there wasn't <laughs> enough space. Do you know what I mean? So, like, that whatever many hours that took, that was another overnight procedure. Yeah. You know, and this this week it was Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday they were here. It was three consecutive nights, you know, of that guy outside. And do you know, I know if it's over yet? To the guy. He's the, they're doing their job. Do you know what I mean? But the Kango Hammer going three nights in a row um, wasn't really great to be Yeah, do you know if it's over yet? Have the work is done yet? I don't. I don't. I have uh, David 
Joyce's email didn't include when it would stop. It was basically just, you know, providing his excuses as to why it's going on overnight. Um, there was no reassurance that, you know, we're sorry and it would be done, you know, as okay. fast as possible and anything like that. So it's not. It's it, there's no joy in trying to get a smallie to sleep when when that's going on outside the window. I mean, there really is no no joy at all in it. Like it's Daniel, thank you very much. But you do have to say they say sixth to the eighth of September. This is the twenty fourth. Why are they still kangoing on the twenty fourth after saying they'd be doing it in the sixth? And the eighth, eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Can we just talk? The opinion line on Corks ninety six FM with McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850 715 On Cork's 96FM. Just a little something. Uh, if when, I have, when I have a caller on WhatsApp, but we have lots of them on WhatsApp these days, which is great. Sometimes it may give the impression I'm talking over them, which would be very rude to me. I'm not. There's just sometimes there's a tiny delay on the line. So I need to get kind of used to it. Um, so I didn't mean to be talking over Danielle there, but thanks. That... Um, statement once again that was issued to the opinion line from City Council to do with the resurfacing work up near Danielle's Gaff. This is a commuter route and as such the needed resurfacing works must be carried out at night. It cannot be carried out in the daytime due to the severe traffic disruptions that would be caused. The contractor carried out a letter drop prior to the works uh, and endeavoured to carry out the works as quickly as possible. However, the question it does not answer is it was supposed to happen in the 6th and the 8th of September. Today is the 24th and the work is still going on. 1850-715-996. Now, the newspapers are full of the photographs this morning of that very dramatic scene in... Carnsore Point, near the beach Carnsore Point last evening where a number of passengers and the pilot of a plane had a miraculous escape. Four people in fact had a miraculous escape after a light aircraft crashed on a beach in Wexford after suffering mechanical difficulties. Now, huge tributes have been paid to the skill of the pilot who is believed to have um two broken legs and the co-pilot has one broken leg and the other two passengers appear to have escaped with more minor injuries. But the belief is that they got into some difficulty while they were flying. Uh, They were doing some geometric tracking or scientific research of some kind anyway and got into trouble. Uh, But let me go to John Walton. Now, John, I believe you are, uh, you're, you're a... Uh, an operator at the Waterford Air Traffic Control Unit. Good morning to you, John. Good morning. Uh, I'm not an operator. I'm a pilot. Okay. I work for Atlantic Flight Training, which is based in Cork, but oh, also operates out of Waterford. And in fact, I was flying at the time. I oh, see. So I heard the distress call uh, of the affected airplane and... Um, a few moments later, I heard a call from the affected airplane uh, saying it was going to land on the beach. 
And then air traffic controller at Waterford asked my aeroplane to go and look for the distressed aeroplane. Right. And uh, we retraced our steps. And uh, one of the crew of my aeroplane spotted the aeroplane on the beach. We flew up to it. We observed it on the ground. And uh, we observed the survivors walking around. And everybody was relieved that everybody was walking around. I reported that the airplane was upright. And uh, Watford Air Traffic asked me to stay whilst Rescue 117 arrived on scene and uh, evacuated the casualties. And that I did. Very good. So you just have... Rescue 117... Yeah. And Waterford Air Traffic organised the pickup. Right, right. But you were initially called in because you happened to be flying in the area, so the air traffic control got in touch with you. Is that what happened? Yes, I, he asked me to look down the beach to find the distressed aeroplane. Yes. We spotted it. We stayed over it until Rescue 117 came and picked up the passengers. Excellent. Or Excellent. casualties. Yeah. As a pilot yourself, John, I'm sure you would very much appreciate the skill it must have taken to, to put the plane down. Yes. Um, uh, yes. Uh, uh, <laughs> a good show. And um, all credit to him to land. Yeah. So uh, yeah. we yeah. are pleased that the outcome was so uh benign absolutely indeed indeed injuries can be recovered from thank mm-hmm. you very much for being with us john walton just uh, thanks for that uh, john walton's a pilot um flies out of the airport here the flight training school at the airport he was in the area flying yesterday and of course air traffic control knew this so they asked him to go and take a look and that's how he ended up there observing uh, what happened uh, but he was the first if you like, pilot are to go to the scene or to be dispatched to the scene. But full credit to the rescue services, Rescue 117 and the Waterford Air Traffic. Uh, but uh, John gives an eyewitness account of, of what was there. And it's just incredible skill involved in getting that plane down. Those small planes, we, we've all been up in them. They're not dissimilar to, to Wayne's plane from the morning. And I've been up in them myself over the years. And great skill. Great skill on behalf of the pilot to get it down and get it landed uh, with minor injuries. That's from the Atlantic Flight Training Academy. They've congratulated John and and wish the crew and the pilot a speedy recovery from their injuries. And thank you for that. Your thoughts on bank holidays? Another bank holiday at the end of January says this message. In the suggestion would be that we're about to see in the budget the creation, or around the time of the budget, the creation of another bank holiday as a kind of a thank you to us all, uh, particularly frontline workers, for sticking with it during the pandemic. Um, Ireland has quite a low number of bank holidays compared to other uh, EU countries, so one more wouldn't hurt us. It's a question of when do you have it? Mario says I'd have it at the end of September. Also, I'd stop since Stephen's Day opening and give workers a better break over Christmas. Many stores in the UK are doing it, for example, Marks and Spencer's. Well, Mario, we did talk about that last week on the opinion line. 
Uh, Dunn's are closed Christmas Day and Stephen's Day. Lidl and Aldi are closed Christmas Day and Stephen's Day. Marks and Spencer are closed Christmas Day and Stephen's Day. Deals are closed Christmas Day and Stephen's Day. As regards super values and centres, it's pretty much down to the individual operators, but a lot of them do close Christmas Day and Stephen's Day. Local corner shops like Small Spars, they gen- generally tend to open, small centres tend to open on St. Stephen's Day because no matter how much you shop Christmas Eve, you will run out of bread, you will run out of milk, you will run out of eggs. So you need to get something on St. Stephen's Day. But a lot of the big ones are closing on St. Stephen's Day. Tesco, not so sure. Some Tesco's will, some Tesco's won't. That's where they stand at the moment. 1850715996. Today is Make Way Day. Uh, organised by the Disability Federation of Ireland. I think it's a day where they want us who don't have to to focus on how people with a disability actually get around and actually make the way around our city and our county and our country. And I'm joined by Elena Canty and Declan Grodger. Declan, help me with your name. Is it Grodger or Greger? Good morning. Gregor. Gregor, okay. Declan, you... If you drop the old, just, yeah. You and, you, you and I have spoken before. You, you have MS and, and uh, I've been living with it for a number of years. And Elena, good morning to you. Good morning. It's great to be here. Great to talk to you again, Elena. I haven't spoken to you in a long time. So, yeah. you're both wheelchair users, correct? Absolutely. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I use the wheelchair when I'm outside the home. Not, not so much inside the home, but outside. Okay. Mm. So, in terms of... Getting around, Declan, I'll start with you. What do you make of Cork City as a place to get around? Um, in general, it's very good. No, it's not perfect. No, no place will be perfect. I was telling Fiona yesterday that I wheeled, for last month, I wheeled about 21 kilometres around all the cities, all the city, the city centre streets, lanes and quays between Parnell Place and North Main Street. And I did it on my own just to see whether I could or not. Largely, it's accessible. But there, there are a few places. And again, I said it to Fiona that I actually spent more time looking at the footpaths, looking down to see was there any manhole covers that had sunken, any cracked paving, any the brick, the brick paving that they have down and put tarmac up and stuff like that. So <laughs> I don't know is there... Is there an answer to all of that stuff? Mm. Mm. Other things, of course, and I remember years ago, someone ringing me up, very upset because she was a wheelchair user and she had been going home from her bit of shopping on the footpath, as she was perfectly entitled to do, and dog poo. And apparently it's it's everywhere. Are Um. you seeing much of it around? Elena, you go there. All, all, all the time, yeah. Um, I, 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 I'm lucky in that I uh, avoid it most of the time. But sometimes it's just like you could just realise, oh God, that wasn't a piece of uh, dried up um, uh, leaves, leaves or something, um, or mud that it actually was in fact. Um, yeah, waste yeah. Uh, from a dog from or whatever. Dog. Um, but yeah, that's kind of you could you could write a book about that. In that, like, you know, our country has been told what we should be doing when we bring our dogs out. But sure, look, we could be 
here till the cows go home. Yeah. To try and implement that. People know what to do. They just, you know, it's just left there though. Yeah. Elena Declan Declan says in general he finds the city to be okay. What about yourself? Um, I use a motorized wheelchair. So um I have to always be in control myself. Um so I um I would say that it's not really good enough, if I'm being honest. It could definitely be better. Mm. Um like, place could I could be go on. Yeah, absolutely. Like um oh drastically. Um like I could go on to a path with a dish ramp and then end up at the end of the other side of the street and realize that there's no dish ramp for to get off that the, path. The, the dish again. ramp for people who wouldn't know what that is is this little dip, uh, the dip. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And there's no, you, you, thing, yeah. so you go onto the path, there's a dip to get you on, but at the other end, there's yeah. no dip to get you off. Yeah. So yeah. what do you do yeah. then? Do you just yeah. take, do you, do you just roll oh, along? I, you... I, so I have to go back up again off the dish ramp and then use the road, which is very treacherous, obviously, with cars, um, and I use the road. I use the road a lot, if I'm honest. If I'm like brutally honest, I use the road a lot um, because pathways are too treacherous for me. I've a, I've a bone disease where I break very easily. So there's a lot of crevices on pathways, even if they're accessible to get onto and to get off to, they're, they're not maintained. Yeah. Um, so I, I just find I'm nearly sore after a day's out because there's so much crevices. Um, as well, so my bones get sore afterwards. I'd say so. Actually, it's funny. I was driving last night. I was driving out near Dennehy's mm. Cross, and I was yeah. going to meet somebody. Oh, yeah. And as you come down there towards Dennehy's Cross on the road, uh, there are parts of the road where it feels like someone took the road away. Oh, you could be going flying, like yeah, literally, yeah. Now I'm inside yeah, in a car. I, I'm, I'm well protected. The worst, the worst I'm going to get is a puncture. But yeah. you, you, you could find yourself tossed out of the wheelchair. Yeah, yeah, and uh, we have a car now where I can drive my chair into the car, at the back of the car, so I'm still in the chair as if I was on the pathway outside yeah. and any bumps on the road and I'm barking around. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's the struggle as well. Declan, is it a motorised or a manual wheelchair you use? It's a manual wheelchair I have. And actually, one of the things that I discovered is that some of the roads are far worse than mm. some of the paths. Yeah. When I was when I was doing my roll around the city, but yeah, mm. I, I'm very I'm I'm phenomenally lucky in that. Well, unlucky to have MS, but I'm phenomenally lucky that my upper body strength has remained good. My le- mm. my legs are the bit that don't work. Um, but as I said, I found the, some of the roads were far worse. Right. Yeah. In terms of going out socially in the city, and we've so much now, and it's great to see the, the outdoor dining mm. and the adaptation of the streets to allowing us enjoy the evenings. And but but it's not as easy as that if you're trying to get around, is it, Elena? Absolutely, yeah. I definitely choose my places to socialise in. Well, pre-pandemic. I would have been out a lot more in the town. Um, I, I, and even then I chose my places, my spots that I would socialise in because 
a lot of places in town aren't accessible. So, um, yeah, it's about planning your night out, but sometimes you just want to go out on a whim and see where the night takes you. And sometimes it's just not that case at all. You have to really plan ahead and see which places. Like, obviously, by now, I kind of know the places, so I just go to the same ones again and again, um, Mm. which are fabulous, you know, Mm -hmm. and... The people, the staff working in those places are lovely too. But yeah, you, you shouldn't have to, you know, chop, you know, you, you should be able to have variety of all places that yeah. you can go to. Yeah. And, no and, limitations. and that Declan isn't it. That's what Make Way Day is about. It's when I think the Disability Federation of Ireland and indeed President Higgins has been speaking about it, is asking the rest of us to look out for people yeah. like you and Elena and to take you into account when, when things are care. being planned. Yeah, take, take responsibility for this, this thing that I'll only be a minute or I'll only be two minutes. Yeah. That's, that's absolute rubbish. Well, this Couldn't is the parking now. Yeah. Well, this is the pa- parking, definitely. I, I have to open the door of my car to nearly 90 degrees to get out of the car comfortably. So if somebody parks too close to me, I can get out eventually. Yeah. But mm. to get out comfortably, I have to open the car door. They have to take responsibility for their dogs and their dog poos. They have to take responsibility for their hedges and hedgerows that are growing out of the wall. They have to take responsibility for parking on the footpath, mm. for leaving, and particularly in the city centre, leaving bins on the, the narrower streets and stuff that you can't get down. They have to, people, and it's not that I think that many people are actually malicious and say, uh, stuff them. They just don't think, yes. I'll mm. only be two minutes and so there's nobody here now, it's grand. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I've often said, you know, and this, this is, is to both of you, like, we don't understand the the needs of a person who uses a wheelchair or indeed a person who is vision impaired, we don't understand Mm. it because it doesn't visit our lives. So we'll do a simple thing like, well, the bin is out now. Let's stick, just stick the bin out and we'll wait. But while my bin is waiting for the lorry, you're trying to get around and trying to get to your where you need to go and I'm messing up your day. I didn't do it consciously. I wouldn't do it, do you deliberately in a fit but I unconsciously blocked your way. Mm. And, and, and Peter, there's not probably enough of, of people when they're putting out the bin that they keep it as close to the wall as they can. Bins have to be put out. But some of the, and I, I'm not naming any particular bin company, or, but they just take the bins, they empty them, they put them back and they put them back very haphazardly. Yeah. And mm. they cause more difficulties than the household bin that's nice and tidy outside the front door. Yeah. Now you, now you have a stream of these blocking footpaths, blocking driveways. I've got it, to tell you now, and I won't mention any providers, there are a number of them out there, but I have noticed that on bin day, that you, you drive in in the morning, and I'd be driving in in the morning at a time when you see the bins are out, and the bins have been put out nice and tidy for the lorry. Then the lorry comes and... Okay, they collect the bin, they put it back, and it's almost like they couldn't have put it more if they threw it back into the gate. Yeah. yeah. So, 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 yeah. yeah. I think you're 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 reaching out to the bin 
providers as well. Say, put those bins back carefully. The bin providers would be one part. The delivery men in town, the the kegs outside pubs and stuff like that, that that all has to be taken into account by a lot of people. The kegs lined up in the pub and the delivery drivers in town that use the dishes that are there for us and for buggies and stuff, they use them to get up on the curb, to get up on the footpath, so they don't have to go too far, they don't have to work too hard to get to the shop. And it's just... It's just pure laziness. Mm, I agree. I think it's. I think it's just about empathy. Um, you know, people just assume, oh yeah, you know, there are disabled communities, whatever, but they don't realise that, you know, the majority of people who have a disability can acquire it. Like not all of us, like me, I was born with mine. Not everyone is born with their disability. So like the harsh reality is that you could wake up tomorrow over an illness or an accident and realize that you are disabled now. So we all need to collectively as a nation be more mindful of others and not just be like, Abisha, I'm not disabled. What does it matter? Or, you know, like we have to just be mindful of everyone. Okay. Well, someone said to me recently, I'll finish with you both on this point. Someone said to me recently, do you know, PJ, if a place is built with me in mind, you can use it no problem. But if a place is built with you in mind, it creates problems for me. This was a person with a disability. Absolutely. Mm, The concept of universal design. All right, yeah. listen. Thank you both for being with us on the opinion line. Elena Canty and Declan Grigger, uh, both wheelchair users. Uh, just some thoughts about getting around in our city. Be mindful. And I, I, I love that thing that a person said to me recently who uses a wheelchair from time to time. Look, PJ, you can, a place that's designed for me or adapted for me, you get around it no problem. But the same is not in reverse, as in, I can't get around a place designed specifically for you. And it's always worth thinking about that. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. Hear the full show on our app, by podcast, or on 96FM.ie. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. It's been a while since Elena was on the radio with me. Uh, Margaret O'Regan says, wouldn't you just want to listen to this wonderful lady all day long? And how lucky we are to work with her every day. Declan, I spoke to Declan a number of years ago, but it's it's been a while since I talked to, to Elena, and she's great. She's just a great bit of stuff, and thanks for that. And a few other people come mentioning her as well about how inspirational she is. Kate says, it's great having journalists or the Lord Mayor going around seeing the difficulties with disabled people, but has there ever been a road engineer do it? It might be very instructive because they can recognise construction techniques and laws and things that would be very relevant to solving the problems. 
has anyone in the council reached out for such a demonstration? That's true. There's a thing, you wouldn't know it until you know what they're for. Do you know when you're coming up to a junction? I was saying this to Fiona this morning. You know you come up to a junction and you're waiting to cross the pedestrian junction. There's a tile in, this, in the path or a different paving slab. It's maybe a pinkish or an orangey colour and it's got bumps on it, roundy bumps. Do you ever wonder what that's for? That's tactile. That's so that a person with a vision impairment, for example, knows that they're standing at a junction. And the most amazing thing I heard ever was that they can now train assistance dogs to recognise that surface. And the minute they arrive, they sit down. So um, guide dogs or autism assistance dogs recognise this bumpy surface and they actually sit down so that the person they're with can start. It's incredible, but yeah, there's so much we can learn. Just keep our eyes open and keep watch what's going on around us in terms of our our, our friends' of different mobilities shall we say and remember always remember what is really easy for you to get around may not be so easy for the person coming along in the wheelchair they you like if if the road or stuff stuff is laid out a public park or a play area or a street if it's laid out for them well you can get around it dead easy the reverse is not the case so it's always worth talking listen between 11 and 12 another pair of Ed Sheeran tickets to give away he's playing Cork in April and we have the tickets today thanks to our friends at Aiken Promotions we have the tickets you can buy them from tomorrow you can win them today and I have a pair between 11 and 12 1850 if you use nail varnish listen up it can be more dangerous than you think uh, that's in just a sec. But I got this. This was handed into us, handed into the street fleet who handed it into us. And for the attention of PJ Coogan, handwritten. So bear with me now because you don't get too much handwritten stuff anymore. PJ, we're asking you to please pick up the mantle for us again. Last night, an open air party was held again in the halting site in Coleman's Field, Fairfield Road. There was an industrial generator. Music was blaring so loud. Our houses were vibrating. Credit to Anglesey Street Garda Station. They sent cars up twice. But when they were gone, the music was soon blaring again. There was parking on both sides of the road. Would lead you to believe about maybe 70 or 80 people, including children. There's no water, toilet or ESB on this site. Eight years we're pleading for help from TDs, councillors and anyone who can help. One man has stood head and shoulders above all for us, community guard Jamie, based at Watercourse Road Station. I'm sorry I can't come on the opinion line for fear of reprisals against my family and my home. But please, I'd be very thankful if you'd help. We even tried Mr Drew Harris, the Gathic Commissioner, but we were told he doesn't take calls. This we can understand. I know this letter is unsigned. It is the truth of our plight. Please give it some time if you can. This is the first time I've not signed a letter in my life. Truthfully. Thanks, PJ. Resident Fairfield Road. Just putting it out there. For what it's worth. 1850 So I've never used nail varnish. It's not a thing I've ever dealt with or but women use it all the time and it's been there since forever 
but is it as safe as you might think? Celine Daly is a dermatology nurse specialist and has been on the programme with me before. Celine, good morning to you. Good morning. How are you? Good. It's it's something that I, I guess every woman has in her makeup bag or in her makeup press, but they need to think about the safety of it if they're using it all the time. Sure, and I suppose it's changed significantly in the last 10 or 20 years. So when I was a student nurse, uh, we used to have the, you know, a kind of a, an old bottle of nail varnish used to share. You'd paint your nails and within about half an hour, the women listening will know what I'm talking about. It'll be chipped and fallen off and, and all the rest of it. Fast forward to 2021 and you may have noticed that women have the most beautiful nails walking around town now. So you'll see women with perfectly shaped nails, beautiful colours and designs. And this is where nail cosmetics have improved, if, if for the want of a better word, over mm. the last few years. So now you just don't have nail varnish. You have nail varnish that's long-lasting, that contains glues and plastic that make it long-lasting. Then you have nail art and you have nail acrylics, which again are false nails, for the want of a better word, that can be applied by professionals to, to your nail bed. And that gives you this beautiful, very um, artistic, shapely nails. However, the problem is that we are seeing in dermatology departments and we're seeing... like. In in ED departments as well, the effects of some of these nails. So again, as you said, these have been around for many, many years. So um, in, in ancient um, Egyptians have used clay and henna to make nails. Um, we know that nail varnish has been around for many, many years. Mm. And a dentist in the 1950s actually created the acrylics. So acrylics are used to create you know, um, dentured teeth um, basically. And now that's what's used to create these false nails. However, when you get your nails done, you have to be very careful who you're going to to get them done and you shouldn't really be doing them at home yourself if you're not qualified in in manicures or in doing nails. Yeah. Those acrylic nails like I've often wondered how how women wear them and what it must be like to accidentally catch one in a jumper. Like it yes. can, it, it, I'd say that can be to say the least that's very painful. Yes, and quite dangerous. And it actually creates something called onycholysis, which is where the nail, you're actually, your own nail lifts from the nail bed. So the longer the false nail is, yeah, the longer the false nail is um, and the nail lifts, it will lift your own nail and it creates a gap in between, which can lead to fungal or bacterial nail infections. And again, the separation of the nail from the nail bed, and it doesn't look very attractive. It looks quite yellow or fungally in appearance. So that's something that we don't want. Something that can happen as well is mechanical or traumatic complications from having your nails done. So yeah. when you get your nails done, the, the nail artist will, the first thing they'll do is they'll clean the nail and they'll push back your cuticle. Um, gently pushing back your cuticle is okay, but cutting or getting rid of your cuticle is not okay. Now tell me again, what what's is your the cuticle? cuticle? Yeah. yeah, you ask, what's the cuticle? If you look at your own nail there, there's this tiny little piece of skin between the bottom of your nail and where it meets the skin on your finger. Yeah. And it's a tiny little flap of translucent skin. That, to most people, that doesn't appear very attractive, mm. but it's very important it's like to keep a that ridge. there. Because Exactly, a little ridge. That little ridge is actually protecting where your nail grows Ah, and it protects your nail from infection, mostly from fungal infection. If you take that away, it's opening the door to fungal and bacterial infections in your nail. And the problem with our nails is they're not very clever. Our nails don't have their own blood supply. So in other words... If you get an infection in your nail, it's very hard to get rid of it. If I have a skin infection, for example, my skin has plenty of blood supply. And if I take an antibiotic, it will get rid of that infection. However, our nails don't have a direct blood supply. Right. So if they get infected, broken or damaged, there's not really much we can do like to see, get rid of infection The or most damage. basic question of all, what is a nail made mm. of? 
It's just made of, made of proteins, basically. And it grows at that matrix, that bottom level where the skin meets and grows very slowly. So if anyone, any of the listeners have, have ever had a fungal nail infection, they'll know that you can take tablets, you can rub things on your nail. It doesn't actually get rid of it, doesn't treat it. And it can take actually a couple of years, as in two years, for the nail to grow full thickness to get rid of that infection. So if you've ever had a bruised nail, for example, have you ever hit your, your nail with a hammer or damaged it if you're doing some DIY at home yeah. and blood collects underneath it. Yeah. So you have this kind of black looking nail and it can take many months for that to grow out yeah. because your nail just grows very slowly from the bottom, pushes through and again doesn't have a direct blood supply. So you can't take medications to get rid of nail infections. And if you damage your nail from having your nails done, that's similar to hitting it with a hammer or doing some damage if you're doing DIY yeah. and it just takes a long time for that to go through. Now, the, the, the nail itself, I, I'm not too sure whether it has a nail hasn't got a blood supply but whether it has nerve endings but I can imagine that the space underneath it and the cuticle you get an infection Mm -hmm. in there that's going to be painful it's going to be painful and can make you very ill as well if it spreads the rest of your skin. So it's very important if you're walking into, if you've booked a manicure, for example, if you walk into a manicurist's office and you think, oh, something's not right here, something's off. When dermatological studies that have looked at infections of the nail and the skin due to manicures um, have found that it's mostly fungal nail infections. So there was a, a study of 68 patients in the UK where they were referred to a dermatology clinic for a nail infection. And those that were infected, 98% had a fungal infection. So again, think about if you're getting, say, your toenails done and you go into a spa, you're immersing your feet in a kind of a water pool bubble bath effect. But if they're not cleaned or disinfected properly, fungal spores can can happily live in those areas for a long period of time. Or the other thing is, and I always say this to, to patients who come into me, if you're going in for a manicure, always bring your own nail file or ask that a new nail file is used. You should never have a used nail file used on your own nail because again fungal um, bacteria fungal spores can live quite quite easily and quite happily on nail files um, so again just be very careful about sterilisation and cleanliness there's some amazing manicures out there who are doing a magnificent job they're fully qualified and they, they disinfect and sanitise their, their spas very very carefully mm. choose those kind of spas don't go for something that's cheap so again during Covid lockdown we well, people bought these UV nail lamps on online yeah. or you know they, they did their own manicures at home pushing back cutting cuticles you know sticking their hands under lamps not a very good idea so people that charge money for nails they're doing a job so if you're getting your nails done for 10 euros really like you know it's somebody that has a qualification needs to charge for that because they're disinfecting their equipment they're using good equipment and they have a qualification they're going to have to charge for your nails so getting a cheap manicure may cost you more in the long run if you get a fungal nail infection if your nail splits mm. so that that's not a good idea is there a form of cancer you can get under your nail well, this is really interesting because in 2009, there was a bit of a flurry of activity around UV nail lamps. So, again, if you're not familiar with getting your nails done, um, another uh, nail treatment you can get done is gel nails. So, really, this is nail polish that's used and then is cured or hardened under UV lights. And these... This like, like a dental filling. 
Yes, and it lasts for about four to five weeks. Yeah. So you can wash your dishes, do you know your usual bits and pieces, do your housework, and your nails won't split or the the nail varnish won't um won't crack. Um, however, in two thousand nine, there was a, a publication in one of the dermatology journals in the U- USA, which uh, focused on two patients, just two. One woman got nails done every month for like years, and another woman had an awful lot of sun exposure, and both developed a form of skin cancer on their hands called squamous cell carcinoma. Mm. Now, this sparked a lot of interest and a lot of worry among dermatologists and among doctors um, looking at people who were getting a lot of nail nails done or gel nails done, for example. So the studies then um, kind of um, emerged from that particular two case studies. One study looked at um, women who used um, gel nails, for example, and they found the 10 minutes of UV exposure was the equivalent of an outdoor worker like a farmer or a fisher, fisherman. And um, their full day's sun exposure was equivalent to one session on a UV lamp getting gel nails done. Now, however, another study, another researcher called Diffley in 2012 used a mathematical model. He basically took um, the amount of UV light coming from these UV lamps and then calculated and said, well, actually, you would you would need a thousand treatments on these to develop one squamous cell carcinoma. Then another more free, more recent one in 2020 looked at a huge amount of women using UV lamps for gel nails and found that the risk was there but it was small. So what do we know from all this? Again, it's kind of like the COVID research. You know, you're getting different information from from different sources. What we know is it's UV. We know that UV can cause skin cancer and causes skin aging. So if you're getting your nails done frequently, what I would advise you to do is to use a factor 50 on your hands or you can go on Amazon and buy these fingerless gloves for getting your nails done. So basically you pop them on and your nails are showing, but your skin is covered and that protects your skin from developing a skin cancer. And if you are getting nails done frequently, I would give it a break as well. I wouldn't constantly get your nails done. Give your nails a breather. Let them be polish free for a couple of weeks, but do wear gloves or do wear a factor 50 if you're getting your hands done. A very good aesthetic nurse once told me, it's not just your face that gives away your age, it's also your hands and your neck. So you can be using lots of anti-aging moisturizer, and getting all kinds of procedures done. But if your hands are exposed to too much UV light, they will um, form what's called subaric keratosis or age spots, basically. And if you're exposing your skin to UV light, that, that process will be accelerated. So it's very important to protect your hands against UV light. So again, the most recent research would say, look, it's probably okay. We can't be completely sure. So right. use a factor 50 or use fingerless gloves when you're getting yeah, your nails done frequently. Here's a question that's come in for you, Celine. Uh, listen to your guest. Mm-hmm. I have a habit of picking that skin up and off. I'm assuming, oh God, I'm assuming they're referring to the cuticle. I have a habit of picking that skin. Mm-hmm. I've been told it's a stress thing. I've been doing it since I was yes. very young. Uh, one is infected at the moment and I'm afraid I'll lose the nail. Mm. What do I do? Yes. And that's something that can happen. You can use, lose your nail because it's like opening a door to bacterial infection. It causes oversaturation with with just water. You're just hand washing. And now that we have to use alcohol hand gel as well, we need that cuticle to protect our nail. For that listener, I would I would advise them um, to go to their GP and ask about something called CBT therapy. CBT therapy is cognitive behavioural therapy. And it's excellent if we have 
any little ticks. And look at listener, we all have something. We pick our nails, we might click our fingers, we might check the doors closed a couple of times. We all have something that we do, particularly from childhood, and um, like biting our nails as well, which again can introduce infection too and is not a good idea. But CBT therapy is excellent at addressing maybe some childhood issues and um, looking at other things you can do to relieve the stress. A great thing you can do, and it's completely for free, there's loads of apps you can get, and um, a mindfulness app maybe on your phone, even for two minutes. So if you've got a Fitbit watch, it's free to download the Fitbit app and then go on and do a two minute session of deep breathing for a while. And that will break that habit of clicking off those cuticles because you may lose your nail is right. Mm. But it's a good idea to maybe go and speak to your GP about CBT therapy that can address some childhood issues and again, give you some exercise you can do to replace that picking of the nail. All right. Celine, great to talk with you. I could stay chatting all day, even though oh, I've never... Oh, yes. Lovely to talk to you too. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a fascinating subject and we, we'll chat with you again on The Opinion and I have no doubt. That's Celine Daly, a dermatology nurse specialist. Nail and nail varnish and nail treatments. I think there's some good lessons there. Just just try not to do too much of it at home. Be careful of the old UV light and don't pick at your cuticles. 1850 715996. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96 FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850 715 On Cork's 96 FM. Now we're getting some other complaints in related to that uh, handwritten note that I read out to you from a listener in the Fairfield Road area. We're getting more reports from there. I'll bring them to you in a little while. 1850 Remember between 11 and 12, your chance to win your way to Ed Sheeran. We have the tickets to give you before you have to buy them tomorrow. That's all coming on the Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. Today is World Cancer Research Day. And it's a big day for one of our charity partners in the Cork's 96FM Giving for Living Radiothon. They've been with us now for a number of years and we love talking to them about the research being done into the future treatment of cancers. And their CEO is Orla Dolan and she joins me now. Orla, good morning again. Good morning. How are you today? Good. and Lovely to talk to you. Orla, you've got two very specific pieces of research, PhD research about to start. But talk to me about the importance, first of all, of World Cancer Research Day. Well, look, I suppose it's a day where we kind of focus on the fact that research has had a huge impact on people's ability to survive cancer now and that we've made massive progress, but that not all cancers have the same good outcomes and that there's still many cancers that people, um, you know, the treatment struggle to, to, to really help and that we need more. And, and so this is a day where all around the world people mark the day and say, you know, we need to keep investing in research because that, that's what's going to bring forward new innovative treatments and save more people and that's what it's all about and I suppose good ideas just need funding and then they will bring those treatments through quicker so that's what it's a day to kind of really celebrate Mm. the impact of research already and what we know it can be achieving in the future for cancer patients. Now to mark the day you're investing a quarter of a million in two particular strands of research which will lead to two PhDs. One is for a brain cancer, the other for esophageal cancer, because these are two, it's a geoblast, two particularly difficult ones to deal with. 
Yeah, so it's two projects, uh, two three-year projects um, between 120 and 140,000 over three years per project. One is into glioblastoma, which is a, a primary type of brain cancer, would have really low survival of only about 5% for five years. And then the other is in esophageal cancer, um, and which is kind of 20% survival. So what you what we're looking for is better treatment options. Um, and in the case of the esophageal one, you know, they know that certain tumours don't respond to radiation. Yeah. They, have a, they know it's because of oxygen. They're, they have this really novel way that they're going to try and get the tumours responding better. And in the glioblastoma one, it's to do with the kind of a, a part of a thing from vitamin A. So, I mean, it, they're, they're both really great ideas and obviously really bright people taking them on. Yeah, the, the esophageal one I was reading about it this morning is kind of fascinating. Yeah, for some reason, we don't seem to know why, do we? But radi- radiation doesn't really help in the shrinking of a tumour in, in that part of the body. And this, what is, what is oxygel? It sounds like fascinating technology. Yeah, so I mean, they know that radiation um, needs oxygen to kind of work. And the challenge of these tumour cells is that they're a low oxygen environment. And and so, you know, you're pumping this radiation at them. But in the case of these esophageal tumours, there just isn't a lot of oxygen in there for it to be activated by the radiation. And so this oxygel then, which which they've been applying in, and actually this student worked on it as a summer project already. I mean, they're basically looking at how it's impacting the cells and whether it'll boost the amount of oxygen that's available. So then when the radiation hits it, it should be more effective. Right. And right. so that's, uh, that's, the way, uh, that's the way around it. But I think all the time, this type of research, the more you understand about what's happening the more you understand why certain treatments aren't effective for certain people the the the, the more avenues it opens up for you to go and apply yeah. new ideas and you're going to be grow, like you grow the, I've, I've talked to, to people before about talked during radiothon before about the labs that you have you grow some of the most feared and aggressive cancers known known to science you grow them in labs so you can treat them yeah, I mean, the difference between a cancer cell and a normal cell is that while a normal cell does a job and stops and kind of, you know, kills itself at the end of its functional life, cancer cells keep growing. And the advantage of that then is that when we take those cells in a lab setting and you keep feeding them and you keep giving them nutrients, they will just keep growing and growing and growing. And we use those as kind of almost the background raw material to then go in and apply all of the ideas and, and throw different compounds and drugs and things at them to see what kills those cells and then you take many stages after that before you get it out to patients but that's the place we start where you have these incubators and you have these cancer cells merrily all different types pancreatic brain you know esophageal cancer lung cancer all these different types of cancer cells growing away there so we can take them out and try and kill them with with new ideas and new treatments you know phenomenal absolutely phenomenal science and uh, to mark world cancer research day we wanted to speak with orla dolan ceo of breakthrough cancer research Uh, Thank you, Orla, for being with us on the Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. And good luck particularly to Patricia Flynn, who'll be based at UCC, and to Matthew Omorico, who'll be based at Trinity College. And they're the two PhD students doing the research into the brain cancer, uh, glioblastoma, and to esophageal cancer. Best of luck to them. 1850-715-996. We've had an updated statement from HSE on Owen Akura which I will bring to you shortly. Uh, on the party, remember that handwritten letter that we got uh, that I wanted to read out to you and I did after the news call? It says, the party in the halting site in Fairfield last night was an absolute disgrace. I was on to the guards. They said they could send up extra patrols 
all I could hear was the bass speaker in my front room as I was trying to watch the telly. The music stopped at midday. The music stopped at midnight and had been going on since tea time. Two vans and a pickup truck and a load of other vehicles parked on the footpath. It's an absolute disgrace. Very disappointed by the lack of response from the Gardaí. These people have absolutely no respect for others and I am very annoyed. 1850-715-996 And on those, I was telling you about those textured or as they call them tactile slabs that they have at the edge of a pavement. So you're waiting to cross the road at a pedestrian crossing and these tactile pavement slabs with bumps on them so that people with a vision impairment, for example, will know from the feet that they are at the edge. And I've seen dogs, assistance dogs, trained that when they pick them up with their paws, they, they just literally sit down. Uh, Christine says, just to amaze people, more, or PJ Moore, the, the, the crossing walk button boxes have raised lane configurations on the side to aid blind people to work out how many lanes of traffic are coming from the right or left. How cool is that? Wow. These are the things you don't see. Thanks, Christine. 1850 715 Opinion line on Corks 96 FM with McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Access all areas on Corks 96 FM. Your guide to nightlife on Leaside. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Corks Entertainment. Philadelphia, here I come. The modern classic by renowned playwright Brian Field will be the first major dramatic presentation for live audience in Cork since the easing of restrictions. It's going to Cork Opera House from Tuesday, October 5th to Saturday, October 16th with tickets on sale now from CorkOperaHouse.ie Access all areas. City Limits Comedy Club will open its doors again over the next month welcoming some standout Irish comics back to Cork for shows. David McSavage, Cullum O'Regan and Bernard Casey are some of those involved with further details from the venue's website. Access all areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a show, play, exhibition or gig coming up or any live streaming events by emailing us at aaa at 96fm.ie Access all areas Your guide to nightlife on the side On Cork's 96FM A lot can happen in three years Like a chatbot may be your new best friend But what won't change? Needing health insurance United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company Offer flexible budget-friendly coverage That lasts nearly three years in some states Learn more at uh1.com It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Can we just talk? 
The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96FM. Mentioned earlier this morning that it's in the papers today, possibility of an increase in the minimum wage. Uh, Irish Independent tells us a 50, 1050. 30 cents increase. So 10.50 would be the new minimum wage. And I was making the point, just in observing that, that some people would say that's way too high and unsustainable. And others would say that's not enough and it needs to go up to far, far more than that. Uh, Graham says, how could anyone say the minimum wage is too much or be arguing against the tiny proposed increase? Daft Muppets have obviously never worked in such a job. Or if they have, they're just begrudgers who insists that people should have to struggle just as they did before them. As for unaffordable, if your business can't survive a 30-cent raise for the staff you already pay the legal minimum to, then maybe your business isn't up to much. 1850-715-996. You're going to have a bottle of wine this weekend. That's a bit like saying to do, do Catholics go to Mass on Sunday, but are, are you going to have a bottle of wine this weekend? If you do decide to have a bottle of wine this weekend, try to make it an organic or sustainable wine. Now, walk into any off-license of your choosing and there's walls and walls and walls of wine. So which of them are sustainable? What should you look for? And why should you buy sustainable or organic. Brian O'Connor is from Brian's Wines, an independent wine merchant here in Cork. And I think I hate you before we even speak. He joins me from Galicia in Spain when he's out picking grapes. Brian, good morning. PJ, how are you doing? It's a pleasure, a pleasure to be with you. We were indeed supposed to be picking grapes over here this morning, but um, a little bit of rain has hampered that. So I'm at the moment I'm uh, cleaning out a few Tanaha here, which are big clay amphoras in which the wines uh, age. So uh, back picking tomorrow now, but uh, this morning doing a bit of cleaning here and just preparing to press the grapes. And sh- the rain won't last long, will it? Um, believe it or not, it's quite, it's very warm here in, in this part of Galicia, but it rains just about as much as it does in Ireland and that can just really hamper the uh, the, the harvest times right. over here. So it's played a little bit of a complicated role here, but I suppose farming and, 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 and making wine like this, if you're, if you're a farmer... Yeah. You're at the mercy of the weather, really, and that's just something you contend with every year. So where you are um, is, 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 is um, a sustainable organic vineyard. So explain the process. So you get the buckets and boxes and whatever of grapes in, and then do, please tell me they don't still run around on bare foot squashing the wine. <laughs> In some in some circumstances, they certainly do. Uh, this, yeah, the gentleman the gentleman I'm working for here, um, we do have a press, uh, so we use a press to, to get the juice out of the grapes. Um, but yeah, so essentially, in the mornings when it's nice and fresh, we go out and, and harvest the grapes once they reach the, the kind of correct amount of sugar that will give you, or, or the correct maturity that will give you kind of, I suppose, a good flavour in the resulting wine. Um, we bring them back to the to the to the cellar, and then we'll take off the stems, depending on what style of wine you want to make, and then press off the juice into what could be a variety of, of vessels. As I mentioned earlier, I'm, I'm cleaning out some Tanaha here. Actually, I don't know if you can hear this. No. Little fizz, but that's, uh, that's, that's, uh, that's some wine fermenting there in the background. It has oh. a little, it releases CO2 as it ferments okay. and, 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 and it's fizzing away. That's this year's grapes okay, becoming, so going like from it. juice to wine. 
Oh, I did hear that. Like, oh, okay. And like, yeah, like when you year, open a, 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 a seven up. Right. So the grapes that you might have picked this morning were it not raining. Like, yes. How long does it take them to get into a bottle down the offy? It, uh, it depends, really. So usually fermentation, the gentleman I'm working with here adds nothing to the wine. So the natural yeast presence on the, present on the grapes, which are farmed without the use of chemicals, so they're nice and healthy, actually do all the heavy lifting when it comes to the fermentation. And that can take two weeks or, or up to, it can, it can go to years. So it, dep- it really depends. It's kind of nice and cool here. So the temp- fermentations tend to be nice and slow. But yeah, between two weeks and then, and then probably... I suppose on the, on the quicker end, you could probably it could probably be in a bottle after a month or two. The gentleman I'm working with won't bottle these wines until next spring, so they'll they'll be nice and kind of settled right. uh, by the time they reach the shelves in Cork. And are they reds or whites? Both, both. He works with the kind of indigenous grapes here, so it's not a lot of the grapes. Even when I arrived, I hadn't re- I hadn't really heard of them here. Um, but Godeo is probably one of the more popular ones that people yeah. will see on the shelves. Yeah, yeah. Um, and as I said, he he, he kind of doesn't really use. It's a very natural process. Yes. It's just the grapes. They do all the work themselves, and then and then they get to the bottle. They're they're quite lively wines, but they're really really delicious. Yeah, I, I I love a good heavy duty red. I really, do, I really. Okay, do. okay, okay. We'd we'd want to be going further south now for that, <laughs> yeah. where it's nice and hot. Yeah, but but um, so the difference between the wine that you're there involved in the making of, as in sustainable organic wine, and other wines you'd buy, what's the difference? And when I'm going out to buy something, why would I buy one of those? Yeah, I suppose there really are. There's a few things to consider, and it can be quite. It can be kind of sustainability as a kind of concept can be quite vague, and it can be, um, you know, we all there's virtues attached to the idea of sustainability, but what does it actually mean? It's hard to know sometimes. But I suppose with wine, you immediately think of kind of the ecological sense, the farming practices. Are we kind of is the wine being produced with with, with practices that I suppose are nurturing the environment rather than kind of damaging it and 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 I suppose a lot of the a lot of the a lot of the wines that are kind of bargain basement are going to be made with very extractive farming practices that are right. you know looking to squeeze as much as you can out of out of uh, volume wise out of the plants the gentleman I'm working with the plants yield much less but there's much more flavor and fruit uh, in, in the fruit itself um, there are other there are other elements that are important to consider that maybe don't get as much air time as as the environmental issues or the kind of farming practices and one of them that's emerged over the last kind of couple of years even in the more extreme fringes of natural and sustainable winemaking is the workers' rights. Right. So there are lots lots of I suppose organic wines are becoming cheaper and cheaper. I'd say almost anywhere in Ireland you can buy a, a wine that is labelled as organic, but the cost has to be, if it's, a, if it's not, you know, it's paid for somewhere. And especially in the south of the Mediterranean, close around the Mediterranean, there are issues with migrant workers being paid very low wages. Yeah. Um, and if the bottle's labeled organic, it doesn't really tell you much about that. So what I'd encourage people to do, and I know it's, I know it's quite, the last thing you want to be doing at the end of the week is kind of, convenience is really what you're after, is you're heading home on a Friday evening. But even if you could make it part of your monthly kind of, have it to go to an independent retailer in the city. There are plenty of great people around and they'd be more than happy to help you, you know, pick something that's, ticks a couple of these boxes, you know. Are they much more expensive? You know what? It varies. There are degrees and, you know, no matter what your budget is, the good thing about this whole situation is that we as the consumers have all the power. Mm. Where I am now in Spain, 
the farmers don't really make the wine themselves. Usually they'll sell the grapes to uh, a bodega. And if the consumers are demanding organic fruit, then the bodegas will, will, will tell the farmers to, to, to farm without chemicals, you know? So even if we can make small kind of changes, not, not small changes, but every now and then, that really does affect change. And uh, so, you, you know, we, we, we have the power. The, the prices can vary. So if you want to make it, I suppose it can go from maybe five or more expensive up right on up. But, um, you know, again, so if you, if you head into an independent off-license, the guys behind the counter will be more than happy to guide you towards something that suits suits your kind of budget. Okay. All right. So, Brian, good talking to you. Uh, enjoy Galicia. <laughs> uh, PJ, it's a pleasure. Thanks so much for having me on. And Take care. Uh, yeah, enjoy the weekend. Take care now. Cheers. That's Brian O'Connor, Brian's Wines Independent Wine Merchant, in the middle of the process in Galicia, where they make the wine on the farm. 1850-715-996. Cyril Alonso is one example, and Catina Giardina is another name. I know, I'm probably pronouncing it all wrong. So you've all the wine, right, that you got on the way home in the independent retailer, all the organic wine. So what food do you have with it? Uh, if you sit down to make a bit of dinner, would you have fish, would you have beef, would you have chicken, would you have something vegetarian? What wine do you put with vegetarian, like? I mean, what? I don't know. Uh, but let's talk to El Kamani from Biasasta. Hi, Elk. Good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. Matching up food with wine is a set of rules that were made to be broken. Like they tell you you should never have red wine with fish, you should never have white wine with beef. But effectively, it's down to what suits you, isn't it? It is totally. And, and um, a very clever wine expert many years ago told me, Whatever wine you like with your food is your wine. Take it. (laughs) So it's, uh, you know, the rules were made uh, at times when we were just cooking the same thing over and over. So beef was always beef. We always had to, if we had, we had a normally gravy with it. But now cooking has changed, hasn't it? So uh, our fish, for example, we've got more meatier fishes. You know, we we are more, uh, uh, our fish dishes, we are more kind of, uh, a brave with sauces for example you know so it's not just steamed fish anymore we have roasted fish we even put fish on a barbecue now and so on yeah. so hence the whole flavor profile of the dish is changing yeah. and hence the matching of the wine can you it, know is, so is it, gen- is it generally the white wine with with fish Hulk? no no not generally no okay it depends what you how you eat it so for example if I have a lovely uh, uh, white fish with a lovely lemon uh, a cream sauce. Mm. I wouldn't use a red wine simply because the, uh, a red wine has more tannin mm. than It'll white wine has. The fish, won't it? Oh, it, it's not so much that we have very light red wines like uh, Merlot or Beaujolais. Beaujolais is a beautiful wine with fish, but the lemon in the sauce will actually kill the wine, the tannin in the wine. It will clash. Uh-huh. And hence, you don't have you don't have a good. So it's a tannin actually that makes the wine suitable or not suitable for a dish. Right. So, for example, uh, uh, the more so uh, white wine is produced by just pressing the the the, the juice out of the grapes mm-hmm. and the the, um, the the skin of the grapes is left behind. Mm-hmm. But it's the skin where the tannin is and in the in the in the stalks of the wine, and then of course so. Red wine is using everything, yeah. so you have to the, the skin and everything. Hence, there is more tannin in the in the red wine. Also, red wine is normally more matured in uh, wooden casks and yeah. so on. So, 
wood has tannin is a very uh, 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 natural uh, ingredient so mm. it is everywhere so and the longer a wine matures in casks uh, the more tannin again is added to the wine mm. so um so that, that hence that's why we always say don't use red wine for white fish because yeah. we normally use lemon on our fish yes we you do. know we do. so but if you have for example uh, um a uh, roasted fish for example if you put a fish on on a barbecue without a sauce you can absolutely have a lovely like a merlot for example with mm. a merlot is quite fruity and so on it's light you know it's it's not sweet but it's it's kind of light dry which yeah. is lovely and it goes so well with a with a, a good fish monkfish for example is a meaty fish yes you know if you just keep in mind not to use lemon yes. <laughs> or any acid in in your in your sauces, mm. you'll be fine with a yeah, la- well, lovely. Well, you, light, you don't need wine. lemon in monkfish. It's so nice on its own. It's so full of flavour on its own. You Absolutely. don't need anything with it. That's the thing. That's the thing. Uh, in terms of the reds, Elkin, I'm a, as I yeah. said there, to Brian. I loved you know the kind of red that you open the bottle and you can smell it outside. Mm. Those those <laughs> yeah. those are the reds I love with, with a good a good bit of steak. But again, it's red meat and red wine is is the traditional combination. Yes, and I would actually stick to that because uh, a white wine, unless you have a really, really strong white wine, I would really recommend uh, a red, like uh, uh, a Burgundy, for example, or, mm. or no, so for, for beef and lamb, for especially, I would actually go for a Bordeaux, you know, yeah. because this is kind of rich, it's depth, and you can see it also on the color. You know, mm. when you pour it, it, it kind of gives you kind of this velvety red yeah. kind of dark. And it goes so well. It can stand up to the beef and the lamb. You know, I it can really stand Malbec, up. for example. Malbec, actually, funny that you say that uh, 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 you can have a really, really good Malbec. But it's uh, uh, funny enough, I had Malbecs that actually were very, let's say, not flat. Yes. They didn't have the depth that I would, for example, have from a French red wine. You need to pay a you couple know, of quid more for a good Malbec. You do. You do. You absolutely do. And, you know, and that's why, and you're definitely right, go to your independent wine uh, uh, retailer because they know the wine. Mm. You know, they know exactly. So if I, for example, and <laughs> it was so funny, I used to, many years ago, I used to do these really dark, uh, long, long and elaborate uh, dinner parties in my house. And I would go to the English market, you know, the um, uh, uh, Bubble Brothers has yes. stole there. Yes. And there was a guy called Austin. I will never forget Austin Brennan, his name was. He was a great guy. And I would go in with my menu. And I would leave the menu with him and I would come back and he has a selection for oh, each genius. course. Oh, genius. Oh, genius. And he was always spot on. He was always, always spot on. I left it completely to him and he was always right. Brilliant. It was always great Brilliant. wine. And for for vegetarian, finally, LK, if, <laughs> yeah. if, if, if you're a vegetarian having a salad yeah. or whatever, I, I again, I'd be kind of, when I'd like, Pinot Grigio with salad, I think. Absolutely, Pinot Grigio is a, is a great wine. But I tell you what, no, it depends now. For example, if you would have, for example, a blue uh, a cheese in the salad, why not go for a nice Sinfander? Oh yes! Oh yeah! Oh yeah! Mm. Now you're talking. You know, so it's it's so you again. Uh, uh, we have, for example, if you have, for example, Lebanese vegetarian food, wow, that packs a punch, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Yes, it's. So you can actually go for it. Loads there. of spice you in can that. Go you can go red with that. Absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. It's been great. And, and by the way, keeping it, obviously, red in a dark press oh. and white in a fridge, I, correct? I tell you what, now, this is actually something that I always argue with people about. <laughs> it's always what I argue with people about. It is Red wine is normally stored too warm and white wine is normally stored too cold. 
in uh, even in bars, even bars do that. I actually had a glass of white a couple of years ago. It, it, it was so cold that I actually had my my teeth clattered. So it, it's really one thing that. Um, like many, many moons ago, before we had kind of our central heating and everything, the best place to store wine was actually under the bed in the bedroom. <laughs> Empty bottles. No, I don't know if I know that. But... <laughs> <laughs> no, because under the bed, the bedrooms were normally colder or cooler than gotcha. the rest of the house. Yeah. And under the bed, the temperature didn't fluctuate. Yeah. So, so oh, it right. was the best place. Maybe in under, yeah, the, the, in, in under the stairs then, stashed in stashed in with the, with the, with the dustpan and brush and the hoover would be a great place to keep the wine. Elk, always good to talk to you. Beer Sosta uh, is Elk's company um, on matching and with the Cork and the Pentacore, matching wine with food. What are you doing for the weekend? Will you be cooking up a storm or drinking down a gallon? Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. Hear the full show on our app, by podcast or on 96FM.ie The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. On the subject of minimum wage, uh, PJ says after being taxed on a minimum wage, says Kathleen, it's hardly worth working. And yes, I will be having a bottle of wine this weekend. Good on you, Kathleen. Uh, on the Make Way Day and accessibility for wheelchairs and wheelchair users, Orla says there's no access for people in wheelchairs coming from Little Island. Also, the footpath of the South Infirmary is really high and very hard to get my son's wheelchair up on top of it. And the bins are being left behind my car. That is also unacceptable, says Orla. And Orla, I think, has an adapted car to get the wheelchair in and out. Uh, recently, says this call, recently my daughter wasn't left out of the car at two in the morning unless she paid the taxi driver cash. He wouldn't leave her going to the house to get the money. We had to go down with money after she phoned us while she was locked in the car. That's coming straight and just out of the blue there for us now. But so she gets home. This, uh, this has happened to all of us, I reckon, at some time in our lives. She gets home. And she says to the driver, look, I have no money, um, but my money is inside. Can I go in and get it? It's happened. I've done it myself. I've come and I've been like, Jeez, I only have a fiver or a tenner left. I need cash. For, for the- I've gone inside, get some cash. This is the story we're being told on the phone, is that this girl, this woman, went home and said to the driver, look, I, I don't have enough. We'll say, what, 20 quid? And she only had 10 or 15 I don't have enough. I need to go in and get more cash and I'll come back to you. And he wouldn't let her out. So he had, she had to ring her mother, I'm assuming, to for her to bring the money out of the house. That's a bit over the top, isn't it? 1850-715-996. Then again, I suppose every taxi driver in Cork has had the experience where, oh yeah, me ma'am has the money. I get it, no problem. No, I get the money. No problem. That's great. I'll see you in a minute. And they never see him again. Did you see? A few things. We're busy today. Busy, 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 busy. 1850-715-996. Now, 
Uh, the Ona Cora story, which of course we are following on the opinion line very, very closely uh, for the last number of weeks and months. And you remember that it was, uh, was it this day last week or was it Monday? Well, Monday, I let you hear about my visit down to Onakura. And then on Tuesday, it went before an ethics committee. We were talking to NASA Harrigan, TD, who's also an architect, and she was going through the what her own view about it. Uh, the residents and their families uh, don't agree with the supposed level of con- consultation that they're getting from HSE. We listened to the Oireachtas Committee, to clips from the Oireachtas Committee afterwards, including the contribution from HSE, who said, we have to go ahead with it, we have to get rid of it, close it down because it's not sustainable, it's not possible to to refurbish it and, and all that. Now, the, the latest development is a question from Deputy Sean Sherlock, Cork East Labour TD, Sean Sherlock, to Paul Reid, the Chief Executive of the HSE, uh, on the subject of Onakura. And we had a clip in news earlier on, but I'll just let you hear that exchange. And then we have a new statement from Onakura given to us this morning on the basis of what comes up in this discussion. Uh, thank you, Chair. I, I'd just like to ask Mr. Reid if he is aware that there is a proposal by the HSC uh, to close the Onakura Centre in Middleton, uh, County Cork, where 19 uh, residents will be uh, rehoused across a, a number of other settings uh, throughout the county and possibly beyond. Uh, thanks, Deputy. Yes, uh, well aware. I know there was a presentation, I think just yesterday, by some of the HSC team to the Joint Committee on Health just set out the issues in relation to Onakura, uh, which on inspection and review, uh, the it was beyond, um, I guess, refurbishment in terms of cost of allocated to it. I know there's a very strong commitment given by the HSC teams on national and local level uh, for the service users of that uh, site uh, to, to be obviously managed in a very sensitive way uh, over a period of time. Uh, original dates were October of this year, but uh, that's been pushed out uh, to manage each case on a case-by-case basis. Uh, but certainly the uh, costs associated with any refurb are uh, mm-hmm. well beyond uh, any benefit that could accrue over a long time. Okay. Two points on that. We, do, we still do not have sight of what the cost of refurbishment would be. And secondly, uh, it is our understanding uh, that the, it is proposed to rehouse, rehome uh, some people in institutional settings like St. Stephen's in Glenmire uh, and, and also in St. Catherine's, possibly uh, on the site of St. Finbar's Hospital in Cork. If it is the case that the HSE is proposing to reinstitutionalize people at a time when the HSE policy and government policy is to decongregate, if you will, I, I think that would be taken very seriously. I would ask that the HSC would, would take another look at this decision uh, uh, on the basis that uh, people are very concerned uh, that where people are propo- being proposed to be sent to further institutionalises them. And I just asked Mr. Reid, all I'm asking at this stage is that you would just take another look at this. Okay, so what we take from that is, look, Sean Sherlock is asking Paul Reid as Chief Executive of the HSE to take a look at this decision. The HSE are insistent that the Onacora site has to close. It cannot be 
refurbished. But the sense we get there from Paul Reid's reply to Sean Sherlock's initial question is that the absolute closing date of October 31st, is it off the table or is it flexible? Because you remember that NASA Harrigan said to us when she spoke to me on the opinion line that, well, there's every case to be made for maybe revisiting that date and maybe postponing that date to see can we come up with a better plan. So on the basis of what came up in that exchange between Deputy Sherlock and Mr. Reid, we asked the HSE where they now stand. We got on to them this morning and asked them where they now stand. So they've come up, again, their statements are rather long, but I will go through it as best I can. We wish to repeat that our original plan for the Onakura Centre was to carry out a full refurbishment. However, once planning work began, we established refurbishment would effectively mean demolishing the building. And even this wouldn't guarantee the building would meet requirements or be regarded as fit for purpose. We sincerely regret the fact that the centre needs to close and in particular acknowledge and regret the disruption to the 19 residents. In recent days, we confirmed to the Eroctus Subcommittee on Mental Health that the process of finding the most appropriate alternative placements will continue for several more months. Now, that is new. Several more months. While some residents will be ready to move from the centre shortly, our priority is to make sure we identify the most suitable placement for each individual resident based on their assessed needs and preferences. While our initial time frame was to complete this process by October 31, we have confirmed to the committee we will extend the time frame if necessary so we can achieve our aim of finding the most appropriate placements. The additional time will be needed in some instances so the most appropriate location is identified and the move takes place with the minimum disruption possible for the residents. Now that is new to my reading of the situation. Our priority is to find placements that will be in service at locations as close to Middleton as possible where that is appropriate to the needs of the resident. And the, uh, they're also committed to keeping the Mental Health Day service. That seems to be new. That does seem to be new. The process of finding the most appropriate alternative placements for all residents of the Onakura Centre will continue for several more months. Which reads to me as if the doors will not be closed on October 31st, which is what we thought would be happening. Let us see what happens after that. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96FM. Not sure if you are following the big deal, but it's captured great excitement as a whole new, different type of talent show, as in a whole different approach to the way things are done. It's on Sundays from 7 on Virgin Media 1. But a young man from Cork... Uh, has go, is, has gone forward to the next stage. His name is Killian O'Brien. And he wowed the judges a week or two ago when he did this. The judges for uh, the big deal are Boy George, Jedward, Aston Marigold, Deirdre O'Kane and Lyra. 
And I've been catching up with Lyra about the show and just a good catch-up because I love chatting with her. Lyra, great to talk to you again. Great to have you back on the opinion line. You're really having fun on that television show. Oh, I'm having a bloody ball on the thing. I literally, the first episode, I was a bit like, oh God, what am I doing? I'm, I'm not cut out for this. But then after that, I was like, oh, this is so much fun. There's so much talent. This is the best job in the world. Just enjoy it. And I have been. We, we talked before you and me about how nervous you get backstage before stuff. Like, Yeah, I always get nervous behind, um, behind the scenes. I suppose it's just like, just because I want to give the best performance I can. I want people to enjoy it. You know, I put that pressure on myself to to really try and make their night the best possible I can. So I, I'm just like, freak myself out with the nerves. <laughs> it's working out for you though. You're doing all right. Now, this lad, Killian from Cork, like, can you believe he's been hiding in his bedroom all these years? I know. I mean, he needs to be unleashed. I mean, I'm glad he was on the show so people can actually hear this voice that he has. Hmm. Um, I thought he was brilliant and I see a big future ahead for him. I really, really do. Yeah. Like, to me, when I heard him sing, I said, hang on a second now, that's that's the Duncan Lawrence song from the Eurovision to start with. And then I heard Dermot Kennedy type vibes and Gavin James type vibes. He's like all those guys all rolled into one. Yeah, he really is. And you know what? He does have little flavours of a lot of really big artists, but he really hones it in and makes it himself, which mm. is like really amazing and really unique and something as a singer that is is really important that, you know, if you pressed play on something and he was singing, you would be able to tell that it was his own unique voice, which is... yeah. Yeah. What you really need in this day and age with the amount of singers that is out there, you know? You're, you're so right. And he's taken all the influences, like I said, Duncan and Gavin and Dermot, and he's brought his own sound to it. And that's probably mm. his, his selling point. Now, the, the format of the show, it's a new format anyway, so we're still kind of getting used to it. But the format of the show changes at semi-final stage. How, how does it change? Yeah, so the show, like I said, is a new format. I was learning it on the first day. I was like, oh, geez, do, what do I do now? Do I vote? What do I do? Do I press this button? Do I do this? Do I do that? They were like, hang on, girl, hang on. I was like getting a bit ahead of myself. <laughs> so um, when we go into the semifinals, basically, it's almost like kind of the battles commence kind of vibe. So we'll have like two acts. They'll come out, they'll perform and... You know, they'll both stand side by side, but only one act can press the button to take the money and leave the competition. Right. Um, or none of them can can buzz it, you know. Um, and then it's up to the judges to kind of, we kind of vote on who we think should go through to the next round. It's, oh my God, on my nerves. My heart is in my mouth for the whole thing. I was like, I can't do it. I don't know what button to press. And then whoever gets kind of like the majority of the votes from the judges goes through to the next round. It's it's like battles in The Voice, but like yeah. we're dealing with different types of artists on stage at the one time, which is a whole new departure. Yeah, exactly. It's like, you know, we see in The Voice when you have the battles, it's literally just people, people battling with their vocals. Whereas with this, there could be like a vocalist up against a magician or, you know, a magician up against an aerial dancer, you know, it's, it really does change it up that way. And um, mm. it's hard to compare them, but you kind of like, my thinking behind the whole scenario was 
which one of these acts can I see on like a massive worldwide stage? And I just kept putting that on the back of my mind yes. when I was thinking about, you know, how, how I differentiate my vote. But it was bloody hard. You might love what somebody does, but you also have to think, okay, how marketable a product is that? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, and you kind of like, for me, I was kind of thinking, you know, trying to take their skills into consideration. Like we've seen a few acts so far where I'm just blown away by like what they can do, mm. like, and how much they've trained to get to where they are. And I really wanted to give them that chance that maybe sometimes their art doesn't get that breakthrough moment. And I really wanted to try mm. and help them to kind of get there and, you know, the Irish audience to see a different form of art that we don't see every day on our TV screens. As someone, Lara, who's been building your own career up in the last few years, you know mm-hmm. the importance of a break and getting a break yeah. and having someone yeah. say, for, for this five minutes, I believe in you. Is that on your mind as you're thinking about who to vote for or who to put through or whatever? Yeah, it, it is. It really is. Like, you know, as I was saying about, like, just trying to give somebody who I really feel like deserves that recognition for their hard work. Like I was really keeping that in my mind. It's like, you know what? I can tell you've worked your arse off. I can tell you're passionate about it. I can tell that you really want this, that you're like really hungry for it. And that for me is deserving of a vote because you do need all that. Like you can be as talented as Bedan, but if you don't have that passion or fire or drive or determination, you know, you, as they say, you can take a horse to water kind of vibe so like I was really looking for all those elements in an act and being like yes I know that you want this I'm going to give you my vote I'm going to give you that hand I'm going to really try and push your career forward because you've done you know when somebody's done everything else themselves and they just need that break that was something that I was wanted to give you're having fun I am <laughs> oh, me and boy George are as thick as bloody thieves on that panel when the cameras aren't on us. <laughs> What's he like? Because, I mean, look, I'm old enough to remember him being in the charts and being on top of the pops. He hasn't, like, I don't know what he's using for his skin because he hasn't aged a day. I know. He is, like, he's so cool and, like, he's such a nice man and the first day that, you know, all the judges met, like I was actually pretty quiet because I was just so like awestruck by them all. And like, you know, I was kind of like, oh, I am was the underdog of the whole judging panel. So I was a bit shy and a bit nervous. And then from the second day, I was just like, feck it, you deserve to be here, girl. Hold your head up high. And I really became myself. And boy, George was like, the first day I thought, oh, this girl's so cute and she's so quiet. So by the second day, I was like, okay, yeah, we're going to be best friends. Like we just both were like, maniacs and it was great and he's so iconic and like just to sit beside him and like have those memories of being in his presence I will always have it sounds so pathetic but sitting next to him on the panel like his comments are always just flawless and they really show his knowledge of the industry and like the amount of time that he has spent in the industry like there are real words of wisdom like there was sometimes where I was like Jesus I I wish somebody had said that to me when I was coming up the ranks, you know. So I really was inspired by him and really just felt like this is what these people on on this show need, like to have this icon really helping them and curving the way for them. Like, as I said, I would have loved it. So I was just honoured to be there and he's 
presence. Yeah, and um, I think people are really enjoying the show because it's it's so different. Yeah. Now, get back to yourself. As as we speak here, you're preparing to do a gig. When I talked to you in March for International Women's Day, you were telling me how much you miss gigging, how much you really wanted oh, to get yeah. back. How does it feel yeah. to be back? Oh, it's bloody, it's mind-blowing. It's literally, I feel like myself again, like when we're in lockdown, I was just not me at all because, you know, I feel like as an artist, the place that I come alive the most is on stage and like, you know, I get a lot of people who listen to my music, but then they come to a show and they're like, oh my God, this is next level. Like, I get it now. Like, I, I get what the songs are about. I get to see you perform live. I mm. put so much emotion into my songs and when I'm singing them live and it's just a different experience for my fans. So to yeah. be able to come back and do that again, like, it is my favorite part of the music industry is having that connection yeah. because at the end of the day, like, I would just be another singer if I didn't have people coming to see my shows, I, I would, and that's not what I want to be. I want to be an artist with a great fan base and enjoy it. It's hard enough. This is the fun part. <laughs> and the last time you were on television was the uh, the late late show, Dolores Tribute. Uh, now, oh, I knew what was coming when I saw you, but the people with me didn't. To pay tribute Lord. to her, she's one of you. She was one of your. Oh yeah, idols, wasn't she? And to 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 be part of that was enormous. Yeah, uh, I nearly said no. Like, I literally had to say, "Can I just have a few hours to think about it?" Because I was that kind of like overwhelmed by being asked and nervous about doing it, and scared that I would not do Dolores justice on her anniversary and because she's a mass, I'm a massive fan of hers and she inspired me to sing in my Irish accent. I, I, I was just really nervous. I think if I got asked to pay tribute to anyone else, I probably like, yeah, great. I can't wait. But like when this came along, I was like, can I just have a few hours to think about it? Because this is a big thing for me and I don't want to get it wrong. Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you something, Lyra, my, my son is probably the biggest Cranberries fan I know. And he was there that night watching it. And he said, Dad, Dolores would really like her. Oh, God, stop. I'll start bawling. I'm, oh, God, I'm an emotional mess as it is. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that, that's lovely to hear. And he is a huge Cranberries fan. He knows every song backwards. So that's what he said. He said, Dad, Dolores would really like her. Oh, that's amazing because it is a big song. And I was like, I can't, I'm going to have to try and flip this around so that I'm not trying to be Dolores, that I'm yeah. just trying to pay tribute to her and her amazing voice and her amazing songs and the amazing life that she had and the amazing way that she carved out my career. So I was like, just do something completely different. And I know some people didn't like it and I know some people loved it and, and that's okay with me. I was just honoured to be asked. Listen, it's been great talking to you again. You better go prepare for a gig. We could stay yakking all day. We I got, know, yeah. <laughs> got to get you into studio sometime soon, Lyra, and get that song out of you. Definitely. Thanks a million for chatting to me. I really had a lovely chat. So did I. Take care. That's Lyra chatting to me yesterday. She was doing a gig in Limerick last night. I, when I called her, she was setting up. Uh, so really, really looking forward to that. Hey, here's the man himself. Killian, how are you? Good morning, PJ. How are you? I'm great. Listen, where have you been hiding this voice? I don't know. I've been hiding for three years. And um, to this day, I don't know why it didn't come out um, sooner. But I got my opportunity in the big deal. So... I'm not complaining. 
Yeah. Who is your influence? Because I, I was impressed that you, as a Eurovision fan, I was impressed yeah. that you went for Duncan's song because it's a bloody fine song. But where, you know who, what? who's your influence? My influence would be like you, you listed there in the interview with um, Lyra. It would be a lot of kind of Dermot Kennedy, Gavin James. Then I kind of bring Justin Bieber into it, Ed mm. Sheeran. Um, a lot, a lot of artists really. I listen to a lot of music and then trying to kind of create my own unique sound, but and not t- sound like them. Like yes. I have to be my own artist as well. So and and that was the the the, the unique point of your audition, as I as I thought. Yeah. Like first of all, Duncan's. How did how did you connect with that song? Um, so basically, obviously, TikTok's been a massive thing over the last um, year or so, and I heard that song on TikTok and it went massive there. And um, I just did a cover of it because I, I I don't know why I think I thought the vocals in the co- in the song mm. were um, just amazing. And then I said, you know, I, if I'm auditioning on this show, why not do a song that they wouldn't be expecting, um, yeah. like a Eurovision song, and um, just see how it goes. Uh, it, it, it's just a beautiful song as well. Like, it is a so. super song, and and yeah, he yeah. Was, his was one of the best performances of recent Eurovisions. Yeah. To be fair to the guy, mm-hmm. so you were the stepping out there on stage like you. Just singing in your bedroom for the last couple of years was that the first yeah. big audience you'd ever performed to? It was. It was the first audience I had ever performed to. Yeah. Um. So as you can tell, like as as you can imagine, it it was massive for me. Um. Like I went from three years being in my bedroom to stepping out in the three arena stage, in front of the likes of Boy George and Lyra and stuff. So, as you can imagine, I was very very nervous. Mm. So. Yeah, you carried it off really well. You could tell you were nervous when you went to sing for yeah. But then yeah. when you relaxed when you relaxed into it and realized, hey, this yeah. this is what I do now. Mm-hmm. How did, how, I just I, did, and had the votes come in? What how does that feel when you're so nervous to have the, the four of them went for you? you yeah. Know? You know what I didn't expect I actually did not expect to get through um when I was going there. I was going there purely just to show off my talent and you know what, if if I don't get through, I don't get through. But um when I saw the yes votes going up one by one, um, my confidence just kind of skyrocketed, and it was it, it was probably the best feeling I've had in my life and in in my career, really. So, mm. tell me a little bit about yourself. When did you start playing music or singing? Yeah, um, so basically, as, as soon as I came out of leaving cert when I was eighteen, um, about three years ago, I like I had been singing throughout secondary school, but again, no one knew I could sing, so I just decided to start posting YouTube videos. And then a few of my friends um, saw them and started sharing them on their Instagrams and stuff. And then I kind of, I started to gain a bit of a following. My views were going up and then I decided just to kind of pursue it um, as best I could. I grew passionate about it and um, decided that it it was what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. Um, And now here I am, like I have a bit of a following and I'm I'm on a TV show. So I've done pretty well. (laughs) Feels pretty good. Feels pretty good so far. So the next stage, do you know what happens at the next Mm -hmm. stage? Yeah, so obviously it's it's, it's a battle um, and I go up against um, a singer. Um, Obviously I can't say too much, but... Has it been done already, or is it live, Killian? But yeah, uh, it's all it's all pre-recorded. It's all pre-recorded. So, so you're not allowed to tell I, us I anything. Everything. You're not allowed yeah, to tell us anything. I'm not allowed to say anything. Okay. No, all unfortunately. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but I, did, it's going to be good. It's going to be good. You're looking forward to it. All yeah, right. Yeah. Listen, um, best of luck. You know, but we don't. Thank so you. I'll still say best yeah, of luck yeah. to you. And uh, thanks, Want to hear more? And I, I, I could spend the day. I, did you? Did you? Have you had a good chat with Lyra? Carconian yeah, to Carconian. Yeah, no, I, I have, yeah, but I, I'd, I'd love to speak to her more after the show and, and, and maybe just kind of, I'd love to I'd love to record with her. Jeez, her voice is, is crazy. So 
Who knows? Who knows? She's such a, she's such a dope as well. She's great crack, like. Yeah. Imagine, yeah, they're, 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 my favorite. Imagine getting the three of you around a mic. Herself, you, oh, and boy George. Oh God! <laughs> I say it'd be nuts. It would be nuts. <laughs> Killian, good luck with the rest of the series. All right. Thanks a million. Lovely DJ. talking Cheers. to you. In the opinion, and that's Killian O'Brien, Cork sensation on the big deal. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850-715-996 On Cork's 96FM. It's a free ticket Friday for Ed Sheeran, only on Cork's 96 FM. Hello, Rachel. Good, that's an awful telephone line. Rachel Cotter, where are you calling from? I'm actually, that's why the, uh, the line is bad. I have you on loudspeaker. <laughs> Sorry about that. No problem. So, where are you from, Rachel? Bayfield. All right, what are you doing with your Friday? Have you plans for the weekend? I'm going to be parking in, but I know that I've won the Ed Sheeran kicking. <laughs> <laughs> you have to answer the question first. What's the Ed Sheeran song released in 2017 that featured an Irish city in the title? Galway Girl. Galway Girl is the very song. You have two tickets, courtesy of ourselves and Aiken Promotion, to see Ed Sheeran on the 28th of April at Parky Cueve. Has that made your weekend? Oh, I, I can't even tell you. I was going to be up to crack it in the morning trying to win them, or not win them, buy them. So I'm absolutely thrilled. Well, have, have a lie-in now in the morning. They're safe and secure. You got them, Rachel. All right? That's brilliant. Thanks, Cheers. Take care. That's Rachel Collar in Mayfield, our latest winner. Uh, tickets to see Ed Sheeran. Tickets won before you can buy them. And Simon's got a pair, and Lorraine's got a pair, and Bucks will have a pair. Uh, throughout the day, giving away tickets to see Ed Sheeran at Parky Cueve on April 28th, all day today, on Cork's 96FM. 1850-715-996. don't know if you're planning to put your house on the market uh, anytime soon. Uh, I, I've only ever done this once, as in sold a house and then bought another one. Uh, and and I said many times before, <laughs> I, I, I couldn't do it again. But there is a whole method to getting your house ready. It's not just a question of opening it up, making sure you're out and and sort of showing people around. There is a whole science to it. And if there are two or three houses on sale in the same general district, it's the one who presents itself best who will be sold. Uh, Maura Mackey is an interior designer. Maura, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. And there is a whole science behind this that we wouldn't even think about. There is. There is. It's, I just think, I find it so exciting. I love home staging. I think that it gives people the opportunity to see people's homes at their best. And I think for people, it's something that they should really invest in um, because it, you know, the money will come back t- tenfold to you by if you put in the work beforehand. A home you know? stager is that someone who literally prepares oh. the home for the for the viewings? 
It is basically that's me. I'm an interior designer and a home stager, and basically I prepare people's homes. So um, when somebody comes to me and they're asking me for their help, you know, to make sure that their home um, looks appealing to their target market, then I'm their lady. I make sure that I um, stage it then. So whether it's a, a family or a professional couple or an older couple, then I'll stage it if I know kind of an idea of the people that are kind of buying the property around whatever area it's in around, you know, right. like that. First impressions are lasting and important. What is curb appeal? Okay, so first of all, curb appeal is very important. Um, if you're out house hunting, say, just for example, in the car or you're scrolling online for a property, which a lot of people do nowadays, you're not going to give a house a second glance if the outside of the property does not look appealing. So I suppose I always say to people, how can you prove curb appeal? So the big thing for me is tidy up your garden and the area around the house. Powerhouse the footpaths. I know these all things are simple things, but these are things that people forget to do. Put two new potted plants outside the door. Maybe wash your windows, you know, clean the gutters. Um, paint your front door if it's looking a bit grubby or even tired. And um, place a new mat by the door because first impressions do count. Mm, mm. Like they're not going to look at what's behind the door if what's in front of it is a bit grotty. Exactly. Exactly. You know, mm. you kind of have to tease them and I suppose curb appeal will give them that tease. You know what I mean? The other thing that like... If you own a house, you're used to the house. You you know every corner and every nook and cranny. So you'll miss things. So what what does one miss that would be very obvious to the person walking in? Well, I suppose when people are viewing a house, seeing scratches on doors and blisters on paint, I suppose sometimes, you know, you see curtain poles falling down or tiles broken. These are all things that you have to watch out for if you're selling a house. Um, I suppose when people walk through, PJ, it makes them realise how much extra work they have to do when they move in. Um, I suppose when people use my services, I highlight things that they need to change. And I suppose if there's things that need to be repaired, that's another thing. Um, So when I do, I do a thing called a home staging report. So basically I go into people's house and I meet them and I just kind of go through every room and I tell them, you know, what they need to improve or, you know, areas Mm. that they need to change. So that makes more uh, marketable, I suppose, to the potential buyer, you know. Is that an expensive service? No, it can be. Well, at the end of the day, I suppose my services are that I can come a one time or one time to and just do the home staging report. So basically, I just tell you what's involved in it um, and the changes need to make. Or um, I can always come in, I can stage the whole house from start to finish. And I suppose it, it depends on the needs of the client. You know what I mean? Basically, you know, some houses might have very little to do. Then some houses might need me to rent some furniture to actually make it more desirable to oh, potential really? clients. Or, yeah, yeah, so I can rent oh. furniture for people as well. Yeah. Okay, okay. And so, like, who would consider something like that? So say, for example, now, if you've got a family who, you know, are living in the house and they've been living there for a long time and say, for example, they've got a lovely kitchen, but, you know, that you can spruce it up, but say their kitchen table might look very tired, then I would say, you know what, now let's push that kitchen table into the shed and we'll go and we'll rent a nice new kitchen table and I'll stage a table, you know, set up a dinner service. And it just looks a lot more appealing rather than a tired and old kitchen. It just gives your kitchen a lot more um, appeal, I suppose, to the the client as they're walking through and they can say, oh my God, they can imagine themselves having a dinner party there then and stuff like that. That's just one example, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. It, actually, it, it sounds like one of those American television shows. Who was your name? There was a husband and wife used to flip houses in LA. Scott Yancey and his wife. And yes. At, and at the yeah. end of the show, I can't remember the name of the show now, it's going on to my head, but, but at the end of the show, she would stage the house. Yes, yeah, she would. And she made an amazing... 
yes coming in so then you see i suppose the the idea of staging your home is that you're trying to you're trying to sell it to the potential buyer coming through and i suppose by staging we know exactly what the uh, potential bars are looking for. Gotcha. So we actually highlight the nice things in the house to um, that buyer, right. but also we try and disguise anything and help repair anything that needs to be repaired. Do you know what I mean? And the thing you love, the thing you're attached to, your buyer might say, I'm not touching that thing. You, you, you need to be very clinical here. You do when you say that they, they want to touch. Well, I suppose every every home has a, a selling point, and I suppose a lot of things can be done nowadays to actually make a property um, more appealing. So um, I suppose if you don't give your house a chance, like the, I always say to people, stage your house before you do the pictures with the estate agent, because right. when people are looking up, they're not going to give it a second glance if it doesn't look appealing. And if there's too much extra work involved in it, they're going to go, oh, my God, no. No, people don't want to be doing that now. They want to be able to move in with their families and, you know, if they're professionals, then they want to spend their time, they'll be spending their time at work and stuff, mm. you know. Should you have the smell of baking bread? I do. I always do that. Do I you? always put the packets of the cookie dough in the oven. Yeah, that morning that you're staging, because I do, when I'm doing the staging, I'll obviously stage it a day or two beforehand. But right. that morning as well, I'll always go in and I'll actually put the the cookie uh, dough in the oven or another one, burn a candle, you know, as well. I suppose that's another one thing, PJ, for listeners to realise as well. We all love our pets. I love them too. But that doesn't mean that the potential bar coming through will be... um, might be a lover of pets. So I suppose that's another thing, you know, if you've mats or you've areas in the home that, you know, the dog smells are there, then maybe, you know, put them outside, put them in the shed, you know, give that mat a wash, you know, so people coming through aren't um, aren't smelling that because they want to, you know, they don't want to sense that. Some mm. people like pets, some people don't, so you don't want yeah. to turn them off. But that cookie dough smell is definitely a plus for people. It's right. kind of, it brings that homeliness into a home, you know, gives it that extra little bit of, Causing us. Yeah, certainly sounds. I mean, cer- certainly when, when I was uh, buying and selling the last time, there was no, no such thing as house stagers around. But now I think it would be some, someone that, a service that many people would think of. Listen, thanks very much, Maura, and uh, good luck with what you do. That's uh, Maura Mackey. She's a house stager. So when you're selling the house, you have her come and examine the place and say, oh, this is how we sell the house. Pretty cool. 1850-715-996. Where are we going? Oh, yes, we're talking about the Onakura Centre and talking about hospitals and talking about many other things. Uh, Nadim Hossein has been a security man in hospitals in Cork during the pandemic. He is an asylum seeker and he was obviously entitled to work, so he worked in security. He has been turned down, having given of his best as security men in our hospitals during pandemic, his appeal for asylum has been torn down. He's going to protest outside Kinsale Road Direct Provision Centre six o'clock today, I think, and he's urged the Minister for Justice to grant him permission to remain, which, of course, the Minister for Justice can do. The Minister for Justice can individually intervene in anybody's case and give permission. We'll be talking to Nadim on Monday, um, but if you're interested in immigration matters, uh, do show your support or indeed. Call and see him and ask him about his story. We'll be talking to Nadim on the programme on Monday. Lastly, today, are we there? We are. Cormac Mohalli is the uh, Artistic Director of Circus Factory Cork and they've got a, a, what sounds like a fascinating event over the weekend. Now, it is an over-18s event, um, but it's it's the final event as well of, of a festival. The name of it, Cormac, is something of a mouthful. The Unholy Blood 
by the Tricycle Trauma Collective. Tell me more. Good morning. Aha. Uh-huh. Hi, hi, PJ. How's it going? Yes. It's actually a show in Circus Factory. Yeah. Uh, it's on tonight and tomorrow night. And on Sunday, we'll actually have our free last event of the festival, which is Pure Decent Rhymes, which is on Red Abbey Square. So it's been a whole month of, of, thing, of uh, events. And the show tonight and tomorrow night is by Lydia Sola. She's an artist from Croatia. She moved to Ireland God, maybe two and a half years ago and she started getting involved in the circus and the work she makes is amazing. She's got an amazing crew, creative team around it. There's projections. We've got a whole lighting rig in there. Um, but, but most of all, what's most exciting is that we pull the chairs down from upstairs in our storage for the first time in 20 months. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. There's a whole lot happening actually this this weekend that people are doing for the first time in many, many months. And yeah, yeah, I think we talked at the start or I definitely talked to some people involved in your festival at, at the start yeah. of it. And, and it's it's been successful. Just the simple things like sitting in a parklet, having a cup of tea and telling stories. Yeah, so we started with a thing called Pure Decent Chats, which was having a cup of tea and setting up like an outdoor living room on Douglas Street because we've been doing stuff with Douglas Street as part of Autumn Fest for about three years where we Mm. closed the whole street. Now, because that, because everybody's struggling and restarting their stuff, they just couldn't, they couldn't focus on that, right? But we were focused on it. I got funding from the Arts Council and Cork City Council to to just reestablish the festival. So, that's what we did first of all, to have the chats, to meet people. And on Sunday, our artists, Noel Neregon and Paddy Doyle, who are like storytellers, have been working with Gary GMC Beats up in the cabin, yeah. where they've like, they're reworking what they've heard, they're retelling what they've heard um, in what we're calling Pure Decent Rhymes. And that's on Red Abbey Square between one and four o'clock this Sunday. Now that's free and right. that's for everybody. That's that's all ages, everybody's welcome. And we have two shows as well. Um, uh, Fling by Gracie May Marshall. She's actually from West Cork, but lives in Spain and tours this show internationally. Um, and then we have uh, Baba Theatre, who are the Nest recipients from Spree this year. And they also tour internationally. They're doing street theatre. So we have a circus and street theatre show, Brilliant. which is on Red Abbey Square this Sunday from 1 to 4. And last Friday, which was actually magical, was Culture Night. Yeah. I've been trying to imagine what the festival could have looked like over in the last while. And to see us all open up. Um, and what's been really weird is that you go, we've got all these events planned, right? But we can't kind of advertise it. We ha- we kind of weren't allowed to advertise it. So our brochure is pop-up performances between one and four. And we did like a street arts trail last Saturday on Grand Parade and out in Black Rock. But we couldn't tell people before we did it. I know. You know, whereas now we can, we can tell people, you know. So, I mean? because so Red Abbey. It is outside. Red, Red Abbey, Abbey 1 to 4 on Sunday. Sunday. For the yeah. pure day. And that's the day. That's the day that Autumn Fest would have happened for the last couple of years in Douglas right. Street. And w- when we were doing the Pure Lace and Chats at the start, a lot of people would be passed and you'd be like, you want a cup of tea? And they'd be like, huh? And they'd be like, what's this for? And they'd be like, I remember the festival that used to happen here. And so suddenly people are remembering what Brilliant. it was like to come out and enjoy free arts events. Sounds, and to, last me, sounds Friday, to me like you're going yeah. to do this again. Oh, oh God, yeah. Like we... we um. Circus Factory has gone through a whole kind of, like we've all been in our cocoons, yeah? And the Circus Factory team has been working really hard on developing a strategic plan. We have a five-year plan now where we're going to 
basically build our capacity in terms of giving workshops to people in our space and out of our space. And I just heard you talking about the direct provision there. We're working with the county council to go down to four different direct provision centres in the next, during October and November, to work with them on just sharing these skills. Because, uh, you know, the arts is for all. How do you allow uh, everybody access the arts? And that's why I really like feel passionate about street arts. Like, and I saw it last Friday night down the Colkey. We did a circus street disco, and I've never seen so many people have just fun. Come on, I'm, del- I'm delighted. Do you know I'm going to sound so rude, but I really do have to wrap it there. And I know we will talk again. Your enthusiasm bursts onto the onto the show. And thank you for being with us. And I hope you appreciate the fact that we got to go because we are so out of time. But there will be another one of these festivals. That's Cormac Mohalley uh, of the circus. What the heck? Where's the morning gone? That's it. And where's the week gone? The programme edited by Fiona Corcoran, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. I'm going to see Flash Harry tomorrow night at the Opera House with my boy, our first gig in 20 months. We'll see you Monday just after nine. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.